lines in the streets, their skin clings to their bones. It has become as dry as wood. Those slain by the sword are better off than those who die of hunger, for these pine away, stricken for lack of the fruits of the field. The hands of the compassionate woman have cooked their own children. They begin food for them, and the destruction of the daughter of my people. The Lord has fulfilled his fury. He has poured out his fierce anger. He kindled a fire in Zion, and it has devoured its foundations. Okay, so things aren't good. We're back to the uh, terrible suffering that's going on. The gold has been changed. The stones, the jewels poured out. You know, and Israel is regarded as just some clay pot. You know, so things are just discouraging. Things are bad. Uh, look at verse uh, 3. Um, how, what does he contrast the Israelites with? Wild animals. In what way does he contrast the Israelites to the wild animals? Even the animals like feed their own young and care for them, but yes. are doing the opposite. Yes, that, that's exactly right. The cruelty that these people of God had toward their own children. They were worse than jackals. They were worse than ostriches. You know, animals care for their young, and God's people weren't even caring for their children. That's really bad. You know, the little ones ask for bread, but nobody will give it to them. You know, wow, what a terrible, inhumane attitude on the part of God's people. Do you see why God was punishing them? What would you do with people like that? You know, and look at how bad it gets. Verse 5. You know, here are people reared in purple. What does it mean, reared in purple? Absolutely. You know, purple was the color of royalty and the nobility and, and riches and so forth. So here are the people who've had it great, the elite, the aristocrats. And where are they? In the streets and ash pits. Yeah. You know, going to the dump to find something to eat. That's kind of the idea. You know, isn't that, can you imagine? Somebody who's been raised in a palace, you know, with all kinds of servants around, going out to the town dump, scrounging up something to eat. That's, that's pretty much of a come down. That's how bad it had gotten. Um, look at verse 6. Maybe a little harder to see. But he's comparing the, the punishment of Jerusalem with the punishment of Sodom. Now, you remember what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Who had lived back in Sodom? Lot. And what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? They, like, got incinerated. Yeah, fire and brimstone rained down on heaven, from heaven on them. That was uh, pretty much terrible. How would Jerusalem's punishment be worse than Sodom's in verse 5 and verse 6? Takes longer. Exactly! The good thing about Sodom's destruction, it was momentary. They were burned up immediately. You know, Jerusalem just starved out a little bit at a time. You know, that was even worse. That was more prolonged agony and, and suffering. You know, 
Um, you look at these, uh, again, the elite of society in verse 7, and what do they look like in verse 8? Filthy. Filthy and... What does that make you think of? What were they suffering? The starvation? Starvation, yeah. Malnutrition, starvation, is wasting away. I'll tell you, I, I, I don't know that I figured out the way I want to go yet, but I think starving to death would not be it. I think almost anything would be better than starving to death, don't you? Can you imagine how horrible that would be? So that's what he's picturing here. And it's, it's, it's these you know people who've always had it good that are suffering these things. He said, better are those slain with the sword than those slain with hunger. Right? You know, I don't know, do you want to get killed by the sword? Maybe not. But I'd rather get slain by the sword than to die of hunger. This is the, one of the worst kinds of sufferings because it's prolonged. And it's just terrible. Look at verse 10. Again, what do these women do? children. They become food for them. Isn't that terrible? The Lord has accomplished his wrath, verse 11. He's poured out his fierce anger. He's kindled a fire in Zion, which has consumed his foundations. The Lord will, will punish. And this is just... you know. And, and I mean, he's punishing people who know better. I mean, Jerusalem had God's law. They had the prophets. They had the priests. You know, they had all the advantages. And they had just, you know, totally rebelled against God. That's why God's doing this. But it's a terrible suffering that they're going through. Comments and questions through verse 11. Kind of getting to where you know what's coming next, right? All right, uh, 12 to uh, 22. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor did any of the inhabitants of the world, that the adversary and enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests. Who have shed blood, who have shed in her midst the blood of the righteous? They wandered blind in the streets. They were defiled with blood, so that no one could touch their garments. Depart, unclean! They cried of themselves. Depart, depart! Do not touch. So they fled and wandered. Men among the nations said, "They shall not continue to dwell with us. The presence of the Lord has scattered them. He will not continue to regard them. They did not honor the priests. They did not favor the elders. Yet our eyes failed. Looking for help was useless. In our watching, we have waited. In our watching, we have watched." For a nation that could not save, they hunted our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near. Our days were finished, for our end has come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles of the sky. They chased us on the mountain. They waited in ambush for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed, was captured in the pits. Of whom we had said, under his shadow, we shall live among the nations. Rejoice and be glad, a daughter of Edom, who dwells in the land of Uz, because but the cup will come around to you as well. You will become drunk and make yourself naked. The punishment of your iniquity has been completed, O daughter of Zion. He will exile you no longer, but he will punish your iniquity, O daughter of Edom. He will expose your sins. Well, verse 12, what did the kings of the earth and its citizens not believe could ever happen? Yes. They didn't think any enemy could ever enter and destroy Jerusalem. They were wrong. 
You know, the Jews didn't think that, even other peoples didn't think that, but they did. And why were why was Jerusalem violated in verse thirteen? Because the sons of the prophets and the priests. Yes. Who were, you know, exploiting others and 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 not serving properly. And 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 you know, what were the prophets supposed to have done? Helped save the nation by giving them the message of God. Absolutely. They should have been the ones that taught the truth and guided the people. And the priests should have. And therefore help the people come to God. You know, the prophets and the priests should have been really the leaders and the people who guided them to God. But in fact, where were they in verse 14? Yeah, they were supposed to be leading others. Now they're just wandering about aimlessly, blindly in the streets, defiled with blood that nobody would touch. You know, isn't that sad how, what a come down for them? You know, these, the people who were supposed to be, uh, you know, uh, taking care of, 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 of purification, look what they're doing in verse 15. Yeah, they're having to tell, warn everybody to stay away from them because of their uncleanness. Isn't that ironic? You know, think about a priest that's, that's all involved in offering sacrifices and purification ceremonies and all this stuff. Now so, so corrupt and so contaminated. He's got a cloud, unclean, unclean, so everybody will stay away from them. You know, that's how bad it has gotten. Uh, God you know, scatters them in verse 16. They don't honor the priest. They don't favor the elders. You know, nobody gets off. Uh, nobody avoids the chastening. You know, we looked for help, but it was useless. We watched for a nation that could not save. If he means one specific nation, what would that nation have been? Egypt. Egypt. They always look to Egypt. Egypt always let them down. They should have learned something eventually. Uh, they hunted our steps so we couldn't walk in our streets. You know, our days were finished. There was, you know, our pursuers were swifter. We couldn't even escape. They chased us. They ambushed us. We couldn't get away from them. You remember that passage in Amos 5 where, you know, flee from uh, the lion right into the arms of the bear. You know, or you managed to rush inside your house Shut the slam the door shut. Lean up against a wall, and a snake comes out of the wall and bites you. You know you can't get away from the Lord's punishment. That's the idea. You know they God hunts you down. He pursues you. They they they're going to ambush you. They're going to get you. There's no way to escape. And who else was captured in verse twenty? King. The king. And what were we thinking would happen with the king? Verse 20. They thought he would protect them? Absolutely. He was going to give them refuse and shadow. But no, he was captured. And who was that last king that got captured? 
Zedekiah. Yeah. So I think that's what he means. Uh, that's what he's talking about. Look at verse 21. Who's happy? Edom. Why would Edom have been happy? They were always rivals. Yes. Absolutely. They were the uh, New England to the Colts. <laughs> you know, they hated them. Now, remember, the Edomites were the descendants of who? And who did Esau not like? Jacob. And who who were the descendants of Jacob? The Israelites. So, Edom just gloated. They were thrilled. God's people were brought down. Jerusalem was destroyed. You know, and, and they're, they're gloating. How do you like it when somebody gloats? Somebody rubs it in. You know, our team beats your team. You know, who, who likes that? Well, what's going to end up happening to Edom in verse 21? They're going to have the same treatment. Yeah, the cup's coming around to you. What cup? God's wrath. Yes, the cup of God's wrath. God just gave it to Jerusalem and forced Jerusalem to drink it down and they staggered and they vomited and they fell and they passed out. And they got carried off to captivity. But Edom, don't gloat. Your turn's coming. God's got a cup of poisonous potion for Edom as well. And they're going to fall. And they're going to get drunk, become naked, and be punished. And and there's going to be a contrast. In verse 22, what's going to happen eventually to Israel? Yes. Eventually the exile will be over. There's an end to the punishment. What's going to happen eventually to the Edomites? Punishment's coming. The punishment's coming and staying. God's going to expose your sin. No hope. It's a dead end for the Edomites. So Edom, don't gloat. Your time's coming. Comments and thoughts on chapter 4. Why does it say in verse 12 that nobody thought that Israel or Jerusalem would fall? Because they weren't like a super <laughs> powerful... Well, I think that idea of the specialness of the temple and Jerusalem and the fact that God was protecting them, that may be even an exaggeration that nobody thought they could fall. But, were the nations ever impressed with the power of Israel's God? You know... When were they impressed? What what were times when they were afraid of Israel's God? Like when the spies went to Jericho and everyone was afraid. Yeah, their hearts had melted. They heard about what he'd done to the Egyptians and at the Red Sea and all that sort of stuff, and they were afraid. What were other times that the nations were afraid of God? Thinking of the time wherever they... Uh... One of the well, one of the Ark of the Covenant, and they took it and they gave it back and said, "We don't want it." Yes, that whole time. Remember when they first brought the Ark of the Covenant onto the battlefield? The Philistines were spooked and they were afraid. Oh no, there are gods out here. What are we going to do? We're going to have to really fight hard. <laughs> and then, yeah, that's right. They it got to the point where none of their cities wanted the Ark. It was kind of like a hot potato. No, we don't want it. You take it. And they finally had to send it back. What other times were they afraid of Israel's God? 
Well, they really sent them out. Yes. The people who came and acted like they were from far away. Yes, yeah, Gibeonites. Gibeonites, yeah, and Joshua 9. What about later in their history? What were times when the peoples were afraid of their gods? I'm thinking about, uh, what is that passage? Uh, is it First Kings 20? I'm not mistaken. The Arameans. What did they? What What did they have, feel like they had to do to win against God? I'll give you a hint. They felt like they had to pick the terrain. Remember that? Anybody remember that? Ryan does. They said God is a God of the. Plains, so we should fight him in the hill country and we'll have home field advantage. Backward. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Their God is a God of the mountains. <laughs> our God is a God of the plains. So they draw him out to the, the lowland, and that's where our God can win, because we can't beat him in the mountains. Their God's too strong there. You know, and so forth and so on. There were situations in which even the nations feared the Israelites. And so I think that's the idea. This may be a bit of an exaggeration, but but if you count several times together, there were times when, when the, they were kind of afraid. And, and really, I mean, the truth is, Jerusalem really hadn't been taken. After they finally conquered it in David's day, it took them a while, it was hard to conquer Jerusalem. You know, it was on a mountain and things like that. So I think the nations were kind of leery of Jerusalem. And you remember this, too. Remember at Hezekiah's day with the Assyrians? How they sent a threatening note trying to get a Hezekiah to surrender? You know, they acted like we're big and tough and we can just take you like that. Well, then why did they have to send this tough note trying to get him to surrender if they thought it was going to be so easy like that? They were trying to intimidate them because they thought it was going to be hard to take Jerusalem. Good question. Thoughts and comments about that? Other thoughts or comments? Do you know when Lamentations was written? Not exactly, but it really looks to me like it was really shortly after Jerusalem was destroyed just because the emotion seems so strong still. That's my guess. I mean, we think it was written by Jeremiah, and, you know, we don't figure Jeremiah lived a whole long time after Jerusalem was destroyed, and we know he went down to Egypt with the people. But, I mean, he'd been prophesying for 40 years by the time Jerusalem was destroyed, so... So like around 580 or what time? Yeah, something like that. I wouldn't try to argue one year as opposed to another down and through there, but sometime in the first few years after Jerusalem was destroyed. So many of these, you're just trying to look at the content and think, what would be a logical time for this to be written? Well, to me, it makes more sense to write this when the memories of the devastation are still really fresh. And, and, you know, the grief is still fresh and it's emotional. I mean, wouldn't shock me if this was written within the next year after Jerusalem fell. I don't know. But yeah, Jerusalem fell in either 587 or 586. There's a ton of those dates that it depends on who you read. It's off by one. It's really hard to get the dates exactly right in some of these things. 
All right, anything else on uh, Lamentations 4? All right, Lamentations 5 is not an acrostic. Now, that's ironic because it does have 22 verses, but it's not an 